0: Psalm chapter 62, going to be sharing verses 5 through 8. This is my, my springboard this morning. This is going to be probably our final message on, uh, uh, on being made whole in Christ. Going to be, uh, Lord willing, beginning next week to start taking a look at Easter, to start taking a look at the cross. But Psalm 62, verses 5 through 8, going to share with you. And if you're physically able, able if you'd stand in reverence to God's word, please. in Psalm 62, beginning in verse 5, we read, My soul waits silently for God alone, for my expectation is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation, my glory, the rock of my strength, and my refuge is in God. Trust in Him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is is a refuge to us. May God bless us by the reading and the hearing, but most especially the doing of His words. You may be seated. I am on. I figured I wasn't on because I told that joke just before I started and y'all didn't laugh. Y'all did hear the joke, didn't you? No, no you didn't. (laughs) Because I didn't sell one. So... Ooh, okay, getting on with the message. A couple weeks ago, we learned that to be, made in whole, to be made whole in Christ, the first thing we needed to do was, was to realize that for some of us, all the time, for all of us at some point in time, we're in denial of what's going on in our lives. We want to sweep whatever it is under the rug, thinking that if it's out of sight, it's out of mind. If I don't acknowledge that it's there, then, 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 then there's no problem. And then last week we, we learned that apart from God, when we do step out of that denial, when we are willing to admit that there's something wrong in our relationship with God, a hurt hang-up or a habit or, or a sin that's keeping us from being made whole in God, we learn that even when we recognize that, we're powerless to change on our own. That there's no way we can change apart from God giving us the power, apart from God working in us and working through us to make the changes in our lives that need to be changed. And sometimes we get to that second point, and we, we, when we realize that we are powerless, we lose hope. We think, God, I can't do it, which we're right when we say that. But sometimes we think, well, either God won't do it, or maybe we think God won't do it because we don't deserve to be freed from that hurt, that habit, that hang-up, or that sin. Sometimes we think, well, the sin I've committed, the problem I've got, is just too great for God to be willing to forgive that, for God to be willing to change me, and I'm stuck like this for the rest of my life we're going to see this morning that that was just a little bit of faith a little bit of trust in God that there is hope to bring about that change because God is constantly desiring to work in our lives and in Luke 15 the story is told of the prodigal son most of you know the story there was a, a son who was man beyond rude I mean, this, this guy to me was evil, mean, and nasty because what he did was he went to his dad and, I mean, he couldn't, I, I tell you what, in the years I've been in ministry, I have seen some tremendous fights when somebody dies and some of the folks that are left behind are just waiting to divvy up what's left over. But, but this guy here in Luke 15, he wasn't even willing to wait for his dad to die he walks up to him one day and arrogantly says, Dad, I want you to give me everything that's coming to me right now. I don't want to wait till you kick the bucket. I don't want to wait till, you, till you, you know, your body's at least cooled off a little bit and is in the grave. I want it now. And the dad, for whatever reason, I know it will, for one thing, my boys don't have to worry about fighting over stuff when I'm gone because there's nothing to fight about. But number two, I think if, if, if one of them were to come at me like that, I, you know what, I don't know that I can react like this dad did. But the scripture tells us that the the dad gave his son his inheritance and that the guy, man, he split. He left town and he blew all of the money. He, He blew it on living the way that he wanted to be. Eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow I'm liable to be dead. Well, what wound up happening is what normally happens with folks in situations like that. They're still having fun when the money runs out. And all of a sudden, the guy's got nothing. He's got no home. He's in a far country, so he doesn't have his family he can rely on. There wasn't anything like pick up the telephone and, Dad, can you wire money to me? And so he, he basically became a slave. And one day while he was, he was feeding the livestock, feeding the pigs, he, he was wishing, man, I wish that I could at least be eaten this junk that I'm feeding the pigs. Now, can you imagine the, 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 the point, the destitution this guy might have gotten to, must have gotten to if he was willing to eat pig slop? But in the midst of all that, God gave him a moment of clarity and he said, You know what? The servants in my dad's house eat better and are treated better than what I'm eating and the way I'm being treated now, I'm going to go home and I'm going to throw myself on the mercy of my dad and not ask him to be restored as a son. I'm just going to ask him if he would allow me to be a slave, if he would allow me to be a servant, just so I have a roof over my head and clothes on my back, and, and, and as we say in the Navy, three squares a day. And so the scripture in Luke 15 tells us that, that the son proceeds to, to walk home. And if you can picture the story, at least this is the way I envision it. Dad's sitting on the front porch. Maybe kind of looking out. The farm, the ranch, whatever. And all of a sudden he sees this figure way in the distance. And he's looking and and he kind of sits up because he doesn't recognize it. And as he gets closer he kind of leans forward in his chair. Because he, he's thinking, I, I, I think I know who that is, but, 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 but can it be? And the figure gets closer and, and he, he comes to the realization that it's his son. And instead of being dignified and, and pompous the way they were that, back in that day, because it was improper for a, a man, a, a gentleman, if you will, to, to take off running. But in spite of what tradition told him he shouldn't do, he saw that son, and the Bible says he took off running for him. He took off running for him and he, he, he ran to the son and he just wrapped his arms around him. And, and he didn't restore him as a slave. He restored him as a full member of the family. In fact, he said, my son was once dead, but he's back now and, and, and he's alive. And, and, and folks, see the story really to me isn't about the prodigal son. The story is about a father who is always reaching out to his children. And the Father in that story is a picture of God in our lives. We may wander, like the, the, the opening song. We might, might wander in our sin. We may walk away from God. We, we may be out in the far country. But God is always pursuing us. And because God is always pursuing us, that's what should give us hope. There should never be a time in a Christian's life where we think, I've messed up one too many times. There's no way God could ever forgive me of this because I, I, I keep engaging in this same sin and, and I try, but I, but, I, but I can't knock it. Or it seems like every time I turn around and I've got two, two choices, I always choose the wrong thing. And, and, and there's going to be a point where God's going to throw in the towel and say, forget about it. I don't want anything to do with you again. But folks, the hope we have in Jesus is, is the hope hope, but it's the fact that we will never get to that point with God. That if we're willing to repent, if we're willing to turn from our sin, if we're willing to give God that hurt habit or that hang up, God is right there to welcome us back into the family and not just welcome us into the family, but He's willing to do through us what we can't do on our own. The Father in this story is a picture of our Heavenly Father reaching out to His Son, reaching out to us, a father who says, like you hear me say so many times, it doesn't matter what you've done, who you've been doing it with, how long you've been doing it, if we turn to God, God's always ready, willing, and able to forgive us and to restore fellowship to us. This morning, the, as we had the past couple weeks, there's a, uh, 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 an acronym or whatever you want to call it, I forgot this morning. Uh, out, of the, out of the words HOPE, H-O-P-E. I want to take a look at those this morning. First of all, we want to see that in HOPE, the H stands for higher power. And the reason it's put like this is because, like I said, these messages I've, I've, I've gotten, I've gleaned from our Celebrate Recovery teaching guides, and, and there are a lot of 12-step programs out there. Well, I say a lot but they're under the same banner. It's usually Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous, maybe Gamblers Anonymous. But they always tell you that to get through, to be able to work the steps, to be able to turn your life around, you need to give your life to your quote-unquote higher power. Well, what we want to see this morning with that H is we need to turn to our higher power, but that higher power is Jesus Christ. Not only is He a higher power, He is the, He is the only higher power. In fact, Jesus tells us in the scriptures, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. The Bible tells us that there's one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. So there's only one higher power. All these other higher powers, all these other powers that people in some of these other programs are talking about is they're really just talking about themselves. They're doing it on their own because apart from Jesus Christ, there is no higher power. It's not a matter of whether they're following a false god because there isn't any other god. There isn't any higher power. There's no great spirit watching over all of us and all you have to be is sincere. There's no all paths lead to the same God because all paths don't lead to the same God. If all paths led to the same God, Jesus wouldn't have made this statement saying I am the way, the truth, and the life. If all paths led to heaven, then Jesus wouldn't have... What kind of loving God would he be if there were many ways to heaven but he said I'm still going to send my son to be tortured, tortured and to be nailed to a cross? People talk about, well, if he's a loving God, why does he allow this, that, and the other to happen? If he was a loving God, he wouldn't have sent his son to Calvary if there was any other way to reconcile people to him. So we see that Jesus is the only higher power. But the thing of it is, some folks don't believe. In John chapter 3, we read the story of of Nicodemus. And Nicodemus was, was, was... a teacher, as a matter of fact, the way that the, the scripture describes it, he, he was a great teacher. doesn't help when I have my, even with bookmarks here. Because Jesus, Jesus asked him, at, at one point he says, you're, all, you're, you're the teacher of Israel, meaning that he was a great teacher. But, but he came to Jesus and Jesus in, in John chapter 3 is telling him about the fact that Nicodemus, you need to be born again and Nicodemus you know if you remember the story Jesus said I mean Nicodemus said well how, how can a man return to his mother's womb and Jesus said basically I'm not just talking about being born of water but I'm being born of the spirit and and, and Nicodemus still didn't understand that but in but in verse 8 well starting verse 7 Jesus said, "Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So every so is everyone who's born of the Spirit." Nicodemus believed in religion, but he didn't didn't believe at least at this point about salvation through Jesus Christ. And and Jesus is basically telling him, "Look, this this isn't something." That you're going to be under that you're going to be able to understand intellectually. There's no formula y equals mx plus b. I don't remember what that, I remember that from algebra, I don't remember what it meant. You know, what's that? Slope? Slope? Thank you. You're you're <laughs> genius. You know. Pi r square, you know, pi r and square, pi r round, at least everyone I saw. There's no mathematical formula because it's all about faith. It's all about hope. And and what Jesus is saying here is is you can't see it. See, we can't see faith. We can see the evidences of it. We can't see hope. We can see the evidences of it. We can't even see love. If Tammy, I think she's down in the basement, if she were to come up here here and, and walk up here and I gave her a big old hug and a big old smooch, you couldn't sit back there and say, see, that's the definition of love. No, that's Evidence of love. That's a demonstration of love, but you can't see it. And the same thing is true of salvation. We can't see salvation. We can't, we, we can't reproduce in a test tube salvation. We can't come up with a mathematical formula for salvation. And Jesus is kind of, you know, to me, I'm thinking Jesus is saying, you can't see the wind, but you believe there's a wind. But yet people don't want to believe in salvation through Jesus Christ because they, they can't nail it down. They can't put a definition to it. They can't reproduce it scientifically. So some folks don't believe. But we see acts of faith. We see acts of love. At this point, Nicodemus didn't, didn't believe at all. But we're called, we are called, those of us that, that do believe, to testify of that belief. In 1 Peter 3:15 Now I, I had that marked. 1 Peter 3:15 we read this but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for the reason the reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. See, we're called as Christians to believe and not only, not only believe, that, but to be able to give a reason as to why we believe what we believe. And you guys have heard me so many times saying, it's not enough just to say what you believe. If somebody asks you, you need to be able to tell them why. Amen. If somebody were to walk up to you and say, well, well, why do you believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven? A good answer isn't, well, because that's what my pastor says. No, well, really, why do you believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven? Well, that's because that's what my church believes. (laughs) No, that doesn't cut it. Really, why do you believe that Jesus is the only way? Because that's what the Southern Baptist Convention believes. There's no reason behind that. Some don't believe, but those of us that do believe, we're expected to be able to give a reason. And and this is just to give you a hint of some messages that are probably coming down the pike. How many of us are in sin right now? Because number one, we can't give a reason as to why we believe. But number two, we're not sharing with anybody the reason that we believe. Because when God saved us, He didn't save us just to live, live life on our own terms and to do what we want to do and, and, and hey, God, we'll be, we'll be together in, in the heavenly hereafter. The only reason God left us on this earth after He saved us is to glorify Him by telling people about Jesus. And you know what? I hear people all the time saying, well, I don't have the gift of an, of, of, of an evangelist. I, I, I don't know how to witness. I, I don't know what to say. Maybe I'd mess up or I'm too nervous or I'm too scared. Basically, what we're doing is we're giving excuses. We're giving excuses to justify our sin as though if I've got the right excuse, God's going to overlook it. And He's not, but I'm turning from that right now because that's a whole different message. Some don't believe. For those of us that do believe, God expects to give a reason. Some believe incorrectly. In Luke chapter 8, verses 22 through 25, Jesus had the disciples in the boat. He said, we're going over to the other side. He goes back, as we say in the Navy. He he went and got back in the the rack. He he went to bed in the back of the boat. And he was was sleeping. Peaceful sleep, I'm sure. All of a sudden, a storm comes up. and, and, And the disciples... A few of them, fishermen who were used to seeing rough storms on the Sea of Galilee. So you know the storm must have been bad if they were scared too. But they eventually they get so scared they wake Jesus up and say, Master, don't, do you not care that we are perishing? Jesus throws a comment their way like, oh, you of little faith. And then he speaks the word and the storm's calmed. But we see even at this point they believed incorrectly. They believed that Jesus was a great teacher, that He was a a great prophet, that maybe He was the one that was going to lead Israel in the rebellion against Rome to to throw the shackles of Rome off and Israel would become a nation again. So they believed in Him, but at that point they believed incorrectly. We need to believe correctly that Jesus is the only higher power and belief is the result of as Warren and Baker said in the in the book, Belief is the result of consideration, doubt, reasoning, and concluding. And all we have to do is go to Thomas to see that. He wasn't there when Jesus made the appearance the first time. He considered what they said. They said, we've seen the risen Savior. He considered it and automatically doubt set in. <laughs> no, you didn't. There's no way. I saw him die on the cross although I was way away, and I know they buried him in the tomb. And that was his reasoning behind it. He doubted, no it isn't, and I'll tell you why it isn't. We saw him die. We saw him laid in the grave. We saw the way he was tortured before then. So there was no way he, he, he could have even, rev- if he if he wasn't killed on the cross there was no way he could have revived enough to roll that stone away on his own so he had considered he doubted and he he used reason to to back up his his doubt but then when jesus came face to face with him jesus said thomas put your fingers in the holes in my in my hands thomas put your fingers in the in the wound in my side and when, when thomas did that he made his conclusion my lord and my god And what did Jesus say then? He said, you you believe because you've seen. Blessed are those who believe and haven't seen. We're blessed if we believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior because we've never seen Him. We've got this whole book that... We've got this whole book that... got this whole book that tells us about Him. But we've never seen Him. Because it's faith. My Bible tells me that one day... People are going to see him and they're still going to reject him. So we need to see, first of all, that, that Jesus is the higher power. The Owen hope tells us that we need to have an openness to change. And really, that's what hope is hope is an openness to change. Change is a process. We read in, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Paul writes being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Those of us that know Christ as Lord and Savior we are hopefully we're open. I know as we get older it's harder to change even when God tells us. I was sharing with somebody the other day I'm at the point right now I never used to channel surf on my radio in, in the car. But I've gotten to the point now where I'll hear something on PER and I'm like, man, that that is just too wild for me and I'll push the button and go to the other Christian station and and if that one's not there playing something that I'm not used to or don't care for, I'll go to the old standby. Here you go, Gaithers. You know, and i pop the Gaithers in. But hope is openness to change and as Christians, Paul uh, Paul tells us right there that he's confident that the work God begins in us which is a work of change. All sanctification is, is change throughout our whole life to make us more like Jesus Christ. And Paul's saying, I'm confident that, that, that the same power that saved you is the same power that can change you and conform you more into the image of Jesus Christ each and every day. And folks, if we're not allowing ourselves to be conformed more to the image of Jesus Christ, again, we're in sin. Because God left us here to be more. This is a trial run for heaven. And we're we're not. It's not a strong suggestion. We're commanded to be conformed more and more to the image of Jesus Christ. But ch- through change, change is a process. As a matter of fact, Warren and Baker put it like this in the book, with with the uh, with the phrase "We came to believe." They split it up into three parts. We came. Well, what does "we came" mean? That means we took the first steps in being made in our lives being made whole when we came to Christ remembering that in reality we didn't came anywhere god was the one that came to us god's the one that seeks us out there's not a single one of us here that can say well you know what i wrote down to my little day timer I'm, I'm gonna get saved i at this point in my life i'm going to completely give my life to jesus christ and get saved it doesn't work that way god's the one that pursues us in fact i talked about yesterday we're not even here today on our own accord the only reason we're here today, saved or not, is because God called us to be here. God prompted us to be here because if we were, you know what, rainy day, windy day like this, I'd have just as soon rolled over, pulled the covers up, and, and slept for half the day. We came when we did this. We took the first steps in being made whole when we come to Christ. We came to. We came to a point where we stopped denying the fact that we had hurts, hang-ups, habits, and sins in our lives that even God couldn't take care of because we're so messed up even God can't handle it. And then finally, we came to believe. As we gave our lives over to God, we started to believe that God is exactly who He says He is. We believe that He can do exactly what He says He can do. And at that point, we're open to receiving, we're open to change, and that we're open to receiving God's power to help us to be better and not bitter. Instead of allowing these hurts, hang-ups, habits, and sins to drag us down and keep us bitter our whole lives, God promotes, God starts, God does the change in our lives to make us better, to conform us again more to the image of Jesus. But folks, what we have to realize is this isn't just a one-time process. If you came to Jesus thinking that, man, when I come to Christ, all of a sudden my problems are going to be gone then we put our faith in the wrong Savior. Because the Bible tells us that, that we are going to continue to have trials and tests and tribulations and hurts as long as we live. Some of them we'll cause on our own. Some of them will be caused by other people around us. Whether it be friends, whether it be family, whether it be work, whether it be the government, whether it be a group of people, we have to deal with those things. We will have to deal with those things our entire lives. Sometimes though, the thought of change brings fear. Like I just said, I'm, I'm I like to think that I'm open, but there's, there, I still sometimes have a hard time changing, even when I know it's going to be for the good. But sometimes the thought of change brings fear. Even if the past was painful, we fear change because sometimes fear of the unknown is greater than the fear of the pain that we do know. We're like, well, you know what? I'd rather put up with this pain right here because I know what's going on as opposed to trying to get rid of this pain because I don't know what's going to happen when I get rid of it. What if I allow God to change me? What if I do what I'm supposed to do? What if I become more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ? And we don't want to change because, because the thought of change brings fear. Sometimes we fear change because we don't think we deserve any better. Again, I've just messed up so badly, there's no way God could ever want to change me. We don't think we deserve any better. We, we've, either, uh, we've, bought in, uh, we've either bought into the lie uh, that our hurt, has, ha- our hurt, habit, or hang-up has told us, We've bought into the lie. Maybe the other people have told us you're not worth anything. You'll never amount to anything. You're stupid. You're ugly. You're no good. Your mama dresses you funny. Or we buy into the lie that Satan has told us. Again, how could God forgive you as many times as you did that? Or how could God, how could God forgive you because that, that, that sin, that just crosses the line. And we're afraid of change because we buy into the lies. But we need to remember that on our own, we, we are powerless to change. But with God's help, there's hope. One of the statements they make in the book that I really love is this God does not waste a hurt. God does not waste a hurt. We may be going through trying times because of our own sin, because of sins in the past. But if we're willing to give those things over to God, if we place our hope in God and give those things to Him so that He can change us, God can take that hurt and use it for His glory. You hear me say all the time that that it's so important for those of us that have been through trials and testings and tribulations to realize that, that maybe or that at the very least maybe some of the things we've gone through has been for God to teach us so that we can teach somebody else. I've never lost a spouse. I've never been divorced. I can be compassionate and I can give people answers to the scriptures, but I, I, I couldn't minister to somebody to the degree that somebody that is, has lost a spouse or has been through a divorce has, I've never lost a child. There's only so far I can go in ministering to somebody who's lost a child because I've never really been there. All of these are bad things. I, I've never had to deal with with, with with my spouse or my children or my wife having some kind of some kind of d- d- disease. So again, I can, only, I can only minister so far, but, but what God does, and I'm not saying that these are necessarily the reasons God puts us through these things, but what God can do is take our experiences after we've gone through these things and use them for the good and that we can minister to other people that are going through similar things. Because again, as I've been saying so much lately, God is still in the miracle working business. God still speaks. But sometimes God chooses to do miracles and God chooses to speak through the people that He puts around us that are brothers and sisters in Christ. If we're willing to listen. If we're, again, if we're open to the change. So we see... H, the higher power is the one that can bring the change about us. Secondly, O, we need to be open to change. Thirdly, I want us to see uh, that through hope and faith in Jesus Christ, we've got the power to change. You know, many times we've tried to change on our own, we've tried living lives living our lives by ourselves on our own terms and in our own power. And and, and as somebody, I I won't name names today, but as somebody in our church likes to say, and man, we did such a bang-up job in doing it, didn't we? And we try to live life on our own and, and, and we just totally mess it up. And it got us nowhere. Maybe in the eyes of the world it gets us somewhere, but in the eyes of God it gets us nowhere. And even if we have enough discipline to change... The change doesn't last very long. I disciplined myself before Christmas because the doctor told me that I was on the verge of having diabetes. I dropped like 25 pounds in two or three months. Guess what? I think I put, last time I got on the scale, I put about 10 of it back on. Yeah, I changed. And oh, by the way, whoever left Wednesday night, left the little Debbie Swiss roll up here and... And, and I walked into church Thursday morning, and there was a little gift bag on the doorknob with two packages of Little Debbie Swiss Rolls. Thank you so much. Okay? Even if we have enough discipline to change, and we change for a while, it doesn't last because we can't do it on our own power. God is the one that gives us the power to change. In, in Philippians 4, Philippians 4.13, we read, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And what I want us to see, just touching on that verse, is that doesn't mean we can do whatever we put our mind to, whatever we decide to do, and God's going to help us do it. What that verse and that passage is telling us about is the fact that if God lays something on our heart to do, that God will give us the power to do it. God's not going to call us to do something and then leave us out on the far limb of a tree with nothing but a saw to saw ourselves off. If he calls us to do something, that's why, real quick plug, if you're not serving right now anywhere and you think, well, I don't, I don't, have, I don't have the talent, I don't have the tools to serve, God's called all of us to serve. And God will give you the equipment, if you will, that you need to be able to serve him. But again, that's another message. God gives the power to change but in all actuality He doesn't give us the power to change He He is the change He is the power of change because He's the one that does the changing because we're powerless to do it. But the thing of it is we must be willing to give Christ the power and the authority in our lives because God will not force us to change. Hope draws its power from a deep trust in God. Trust in God means believing that He will do what He says He will do. If God says, I want to make a change in your life, I want to change you, guess what? He's the one that gives us the power to do it, but, but, and He's the one that does it, but we've got to give Him permission. God's a gentleman, and He will not force, even with Christians, He will not force Himself on us. We've got to get to the point with our hurt, hang-up, habit, or sin to say, God, I want to change, but I can't do it on my own. Would you come in? I'm giving you permission to come into my life and make the change that needs to be made that I can't make, that I don't have the power to make. And God will do it. If we mean business with God, if we're honest with God, He'll do business and He'll be honest with us. Well, God will be honest with us regardless whether we want to be honest with Him or not. And then lastly, that last, that last letter E means that with hope, we also need to expect to change. We know, in other words, we need to trust God. Hebrews 11.6 We read this, But without faith it is impossible to please Him, for He who comes to God, <clears throat> excuse me, must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. We need to expect change to come and and to be able to expect change to come, we need to trust God. And the only thing God honors in our lives, the only two things God honors in our lives is obedience and faith. That old hymn, Trust and Obey, the same thing is is saying faith and obedience. Trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Are you miserable today and you're a Christian? Maybe it's because you're not obeying Him. Maybe it's because you're not putting the faith in Him to live through you. We need to trust God so many times. You hear me say it all the time. So many times when we do put a little bit of trust in God, we'll pull it back. Well, God, here I'm giving this to you, but God doesn't act just like that. And we think, well, you know what? God has been 2,000 years since you've been here. You know, maybe I'll just better pull this back, take this back, and I'm going to tweak on it a little bit, and then I'm going to give it back to you. I don't know about you guys, but 100% of the time I've done that, when I've given it back to him, it was worse than it was when I took it back. If I just, if I had just given it to him and allowed him to work through me to begin with, I could have, I could have saved so much heartache and pain and misery and sorrow and suffering over the years. But so many times, the little bit of trust, we pull it back and trust in ourselves. And the bad part about it is so many, so many times we take it back and put the trust in ourselves just before God's getting ready to do the work that we wanted Him to do. Because we're not patient. We want things in our time... As opposed to things happening in God's time. Instant gratification does not work in the spiritual realm. Instant gratification doesn't work when it comes to the things of God. We live, my pastor used to say we live in a Jiffy Pop generation, but we're past that. Y'all remember Jiffy Pop? You put it on the stove and the some of you young kids might not remember, might not know about that. That's like... I suspect that the vast majority of, of our teens here don't even know what it's like to not have cell phones. You know, But we're past the Jiffy Pop generation. We're a microwave generation. We put that microwave popcorn and we want it to cook fast. As a matter of fact, she's not there. Sometimes it cooks so fast that it burns before we can stop it. You know when we've had a Team Kid Award night? when you smell burnt popcorn downstairs no it's not Bonnie I won't, I won't mention I won't mention who, who that is but her, her, her the first initial is Tammy <laughs> but I, I see Perry. <laughs> Perry Perry holds me Perry and Sherry both hold me accountable when I do that stuff but at any rate I'll ask her to forgive me when we get downstairs uh, but instant gratification doesn't work in the spiritual realm if, we, if what we want doesn't happen right away, we, we, we think that, that it's not going to happen. If God doesn't answer our prayers or make the changes we, we think need to be made right away, we think either He doesn't hear us or He's not, he's not all that the Bible says that He is. Either God doesn't want to do the change in my life, or He doesn't have the power to make the change in my life. And when we say that, we're, 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 we're basically saying that He's not everything that the Scriptures says that He is. But in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, we read this from the Apostle Paul. And this is a hymn also. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded. I'll just sing it. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that He is able to keep that which I've committed unto Him against that day. God's Word tells us that He's going to do it. If we put our trust in Him, He's going to do it. But the thing we need to do in finishing up to get this hope going is we got to get started to begin with. We've got to take that step. Matthew 17, 20 tells us that that if we have the faith of a mustard seed, we can tell that tell a mountain to cast yourself into the sea. In Mark chapter 9, the story is told of of a man who came to Jesus and and, and his daughter was was, was sick. And Jesus asked the man, do you believe that I can heal her? And, And the man was honest enough with Jesus. He said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. What he was getting at was, Lord, I believe, I just don't know right now if I believe enough. But God answered that prayer. You know why God answered that prayer? Jesus answered that prayer because the man was honest with him about where he was. If we're honest about God as to where we stand in our belief, God is willing to meet us there. If we step out with what little bit of faith we have, God will honor that and during the change process, not only give us the hope of greater change, but he'll give or give us the faith for greater change, but he'll bring about that change as long as we're obedient to do what he tells us to do. John, I'm gonna make this change in your life, but this is what I want you to do. I want you to do A, B, and C. And I could even sit there and say, God, I don't know how this is gonna, this could possibly happen. But I, I, I trust you and I trust your word. So since you're telling me that, that you're going to change me if I do A, B, and C, I'm going to do A, B, and C. And God, I'm even going to be honest enough, honest enough to tell you, if I have trouble doing A, B, and C, will you, will you help me to do A, B, and C? And God's faithful and just to do that. He'll give us the faith. He'll give us the strength to do what He's called us to do. H, higher power. The only higher power is Jesus Christ. Openness to change. That's what hope and faith in Jesus gives us. But again, remember, God will not force the change on us. Power to change. We don't have the strength to change on our own. God not only gives us the power to change, God is the power of change. Then lastly, E, we need to if we do all these things and we have hope, we need to expect change. If we're not willing to do our part and don't have the expectation that God will do a work in our lives, it's not going to happen. Remember from last week, we can't do God's job and He won't do our job. We've got to be obedient to what He calls us. Somebody once said that the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. The question is, this morning, if we're dealing with hurts, hang-ups, habits, or sin, are we ready to take that single step this morning? Are we ready to place our trust and our hope in God this morning to change the hurts, the habits, the hang-ups, and the sins that rule our lives? Are we, do we have the faith? Do we have the hope? Do we have the trust in God to allow Him to start making the changes in our lives?